Great news. Side Retired is now partnered with SeatGeek. For all ticketing needs, go to SeatGeek.com and use promo code SIDERETIREDPOD in all capitals for $20 off your first order. We've got you covered from all things ranging from sporting events to concerts, including the NFL and NHL. Yes, this means we're officially taking you out to the ballgame. And now for today's edition of Side Retired Podcast. Well, there are still signings occurring, even though we are no longer at the winter meetings. Two big signings that we're going to be discussing in today's episode of Side Retired, the only podcast. Carlos Correa is signed with the San Francisco Giants, and the Yankees have signed Carlos Rodon. So two Carloses represented by Scott Boris getting a combined over $500 million. James, how are you doing today? All right. I'm doing well. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. My bad. My bad. My bad. Um, I'm doing well. I mean, it's a nice little improvement, but still, still lots of moves left to be made. Still not satisfied. You know, second, second best team in the American League, uh, like last year, doesn't really, doesn't really change my my feeling about this team. So, you know, I'm happy, obviously, to add add a really good all star caliber pitcher and Carlos Rodon. Um, but you know, uh, as Kobe Bryant once said, uh, "Job's not finished." So, yeah. Mr. Positive, Jack Stappenbeck, how are you doing today? Job definitely is not finished, as James, um, as James stated, but I don't think, you know, beyond after Aaron Judge, I think this was the best move to be made, but certainly not the final one. It's hard for Yankee fans not to be excited now, as I believe several uh, people, whether you're for or against the New York Yankees, that this is now the clear-cut best rotation in baseball with Frankie Montas, the trade deadline acquisition who was marketed as a potential two behind Garrett Cole is now looking like the Yankees five starter, partially due to his terrible uh, second half of the season, but also just because Luis Severino has come back and looked fantastic. Nestor Cortez put together an, a very solid year after his second, after his uh, re, re, rejoining of the starting rotation following his breakout 2021. And then Garrett Cole is Garrett Cole. Now you add in Carlos Rodon to the mix. It is certainly a force to be reckoned with. And the Yankees who seemingly you know, market themselves as a team who will throttle you with home runs, overwhelming offense. The pitching will get it done when it has to. Now it seems like the pitching is going to be the forefront and the carrier of this team. The offense um, led by Aaron Judge will be hopefully enough to just put up, you know, a couple runs and then hand it off to a very back-end heavy bullpen that certainly is very formidable, formidable at putting together one of, if not the best, pitching staffs in MLB. And I will agree with that. Jack's point of that, even if you're not a Yankees fan, you have to admit the Yankees rotation is the best in baseball. And I know I had my fun about a week ago when I had the Mets rotation as the best for about maybe 72 hours or so since we signed Kodai Senga. But yes, I will agree. The Yankees now officially have the best rotation in baseball. Cole, Rodon, Cortez, Severino, and Montas. One interesting thing that just came to my mind now, Domingo Herman is not like an amazing starting pitcher at all by any standards, but he is a serviceable number five. And I know the Yankees have been talking about how can we shed payroll in some capacity. And you guys are the Yankees fans, so you can correct me on this. Uh, Montas is expected to be owed around $8 million in arbitration. Do you think there's any possibility where the Yankees say, as a five starter, that is too much, let's move on from him and we can sign either a cheaper, maybe Michael Waka or just rock with Domingo, Herman, Clark Schmidt in the number five spot, especially considering the top of the rotation is now as elite as it is. No yeah, shot. There's, now. there's not a chance Brian Cashman takes that L uh, after the huge package they gave up to the Oakland A's. 
there's no way Cashman will admit he was wrong. Uh, he probably will just say that he was hurt last year, and that's the well, reason. He was hurt. Whether or not you think that caused injury, he was hurt. Okay. <laughs> okay. Injuries don't exist. I'm, I, I hear, but there's no, you know, Chief Benjamin, I think he's definitely not going to be traded. I think the Yankees look at this as a high upside move. Rodon certainly was hurt. And whether you want to argue that the Yankees shouldn't have traded him, I think traded for him given that. I think that's a fair point to be had. But regardless, the trade. Montas, not Rodon. Rodon is a Yankee. I'm sorry, yeah, Montas is a Yankee. And, you know, um, it's really like just seeing the high upside potential there. They think he has the splitter, the cutter combo, certainly can induce a certain number, high number of ground balls. And I think that's going to play very badly in the in the five spot. And they're not going to want to deal from a position of strength and put Herman, who I think his numbers maybe are more appealing and you know, look better than they actually are, just given it. I think even Yankee fans who watched would tell you that, just given I think there were numerous times just bailed out by high contact. Not, um, you know, not really a high strikeout guy, had several command issues. He's not a guy you want to have as an everyday starter, rather either as a trade ship, as you kind of alluded to, or maybe uh, dealt in um, and, you know, a, a backup option, uh, a backup option in case one of those guys does get hurt. He's the guy who can make a spot start and carry a rotation given any kind of 10-day IL or 15-day IL stretch. And then obviously the only big free agent starting pitcher that is still out there is Nathan Avaldi, but there will definitely be a couple other trades that people aren't expecting this offseason. So we're going to wait to do our like top five, top 10 starting rotations in baseball, but know that that list is coming. So if you would like to submit yours to have it featured on that episode, you can go to the Twitter or the Instagram at side retired pod and send us over your top 10 list, as well as the fan email address side retired pod at gmail.com to send us your top 10 top five starting pitch rotations in baseball james anything else you want to add on rodon and the yankees before we go into the other big signing yeah i think this rodon thing also um i think it spells the beginning of the end um for severino and montas after this season i think the yankees definitely look to go younger and cheaper in the future with the four and five slot uh, i think with severino's contract expiring after this year um and Montas's this being Montas's last year of arbitration, it just made sense to go make a big splash like this um in the starting pitcher category because you'll have two spots in the rotation freeing up uh, money wise after this season. All righty. And then you get to the San Francisco Giants, where I know people have probably seen the imagery of like the Porsche in the middle of the random uh backyard in the garage that looks run down. That's what it happens to look like with the San Francisco Giants offense. Jock Peterson's a good player. But that's about it in that lineup. If you look at it in comparison to what you have with the Dodgers, who I know they haven't made any moves this offseason, but the Dodgers are going to be the Dodgers. And the Padres lineup is now stacked with Cronenworth, Soto, Machado, Bogarts, Tatis when he comes back, Hassan Kim, Trent Grisham. What do we think of the San Francisco Giants? I think they're the clear number three in that division. They're no better than the Dodgers and the Padres, and they're definitely better than the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. But still... I think if you were to rank, because there's now six playoff teams, they're the clear number seven behind whoever wins the NL Central, the two other NL West, and the three powerhouses in the NL East. Is the job done for the Giants? Can they even afford to make any other moves now that you're paying Carlos Correa until he's 41 years old and effectively moving Brandon Crawford, who's their unofficial captain, off of shortstop? This move is a little puzzling because the fit isn't ideal, but I think when we saw that they went hard after Judge, that it seemed like the Giants did have to make some sort of move, make one big acquisition this offseason. And with the only guy left being Carlos Correa, they figured let's throw a boatload of money at him. And he indeed got 13 years, $350 million. James, your thoughts on the whole Correa situation? 
Yeah, I'm just very confused. You know, you've got some big free agents coming up over the next couple of years. Um, Otani, Soto. Um, I'm sure there's another big name that I'm just completely lapsing on. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's some big time guys that are going to be free agents, and not saying that Correa isn't isn't a big time money guy. Um, but the Giants just aren't in the in a window that I that I see them winning a lot of games. And it's like they have a ton of young talent. They have that they just brought up last year and they were competitive and like they, they weren't a very good team last year. And they only made one other move to acquire Mitch Hanniger so far this off season that really kind of, you know, opens my eyes up to them being better. But I don't know. It just seems like a, a reach. Um, it seems like an unnecessary move. They probably could have sat back and saved that money for, for future years. Uh, Cause I don't see, you know, Correa is not getting any younger. He's already 28 years old. Um, he'll probably be 31 by the time they're contenders. Uh, I, I don't know. It just seems like a reach. It seems like the Giants just wanted to make something happen before the team was ready to take that next step. The Giants have always been a pretty old team. I know in 2021 when they went on that sort of magical run, it was led by guys like Brandon Belt, Evan Longoria, Brandon Crawford, having Buster Posey having these resurgent years, and it didn't seem sustainable. And sort of to tie us back to the beginning of this episode, they're losing Carlos Rodon at the top of their rotation, and the two moves they've made this offseason to address their pitching is Sean Manaya and Ross Stripling. And you obviously can't combine two pitchers, but I even think if you combine the production of Sean Manaya and Ross Stripling, it doesn't come anywhere close to replacing Carlos Rodon, and you're out of starting pitchers on the market unless the Giants are all of a sudden going to start spending on Nathan Avaldi, which is definitely something that I don't personally see. I love guys like Wilmer Flores and J.D. Davis, and we know that Gabe Kapler who's a Giants manager, is great at mastering this platoon situation and putting players in the best situations to succeed. But I just don't see how this Giants team, and maybe we'll bring on, uh, I know he's been on the podcast a couple of times, Joe Moore, to talk about his Giants at some point over winter break. Once he's done with his final season, he said he'll hop on to talk about the state of the Giants with us in a Giants-specific episode. But something it, this team just doesn't seem up to the level of the Braves, the Mets, the Dodgers, the Padres. Maybe if they're in the NL Central, they can sneak by by winning that division. Because as we've mentioned, if you haven't checked out our interview with uh, Dom Catronio about the Milwaukee Brewers, there's no one really great in the NL Central right now. But the problem is they're facing the Padres and the Dodgers, and there's nothing really that the Giants can do at this point, besides maybe a Brian Reynolds trade to make them catapult into that elite tier in the National League. The other move that did happen across baseball over the past couple of days is Noah Syndergaard has found his new home. He's going to the Los Angeles Dodgers on a one-year $13 million contract. Jack, I'll come to you on this one to talk about the Los Angeles Dodgers' interesting offseason where they haven't spent big or acquired anyone big, but instead they've just re-signed Clayton Kershaw, and now they're bringing Noah Syndergaard in on a $13 million contract. What's happening in L.A.? I know they're obviously still a great team coming off a 100-win season, which lineup is, of course, very top-heavy with bets and Freeman and Will Smith and Max Muncy, but they're losing Justin Turner. They've lost Trey Turner. They lost Kenley Jansen last year, so their bullpen is shaky already because Daniel Hudson and Blake Turner are out for the season. What's going on? I think it's kind of a you know a reset year, and that's not a reset by the average MLB terms. Um, just given that I I believe Ken Rosenthal wrote the article saying how they're they're going to save their pennies for Shohei Otani and Roki Sasaka who, um, in case you are uh, unfamiliar, he's the pitcher who nearly pitched two consecutive perfect games this past year in Japan with an electric fastball and devastating splitter. So certainly a potential star there as well, in addition to Shohei Otani, who's 
uh, started to make a case to be perhaps the best MLB player of all time. So certainly, you know, um, worthy guys of saving your pennies for. I think there's an, an argument for that, especially because just given we've seen how we've seen the Dodgers extend the tax by so much in the past couple of years, and now they've reset it, it allows them to spend big later. Um, you know, it's moves like this that we're going to see, you know, a Syndergaard I thought was a good move for both sides. We saw him turn down more money and uh, more years. I think just seeing how he's worked with um, Velocity over this offseason, the same people who work with Clay Holmes, and we saw him now with the triple-digit sinker could help uh, Syndergaard perhaps reach back the level he was when he was the ace of the New York Mets, hitting the triple-digit fastball with consistency. So certainly something to, to watch for there. But the Dodgers, you know, it's it's going to be they're going to be a very competitive team. Without a doubt, I would still say they are, um, you know, they're a top two in the NLS. That's beyond debate. I think you could maybe argue now the Padres have eclipsed that title after not only beating them in the NLDS, but getting significantly improved on a lot of reinforcements this offseason. But, you know, I think people are going to forget about the Dodgers going in just because, you know, MLB fans, they know what's happening in the news. And the Dodgers, you know, with their most newsworthy thing being Noah Syndergaard, they haven't really made so many headlines. But this still is a ridiculously good team. It is a, a top three lineup in baseball with Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, um, Will Smith. So, And you still have a very solid rotation, but not not quite the one of 2021 that we thought they were going to get with Trevor Bauer, Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw, Julio Urias. So it's, you know, definitely steps and steps back. But I think the Dodgers ownership and the front office is on the right page of saying, we get Shohei Otani, that adds a lethal lefty bat into our lineup on top of one of, if not a, a one of the best pitchers in MLB who may be, you know, we could see him take leaps forward with his sinker, his newly developed triple digit sinker, his devastating splitter, his cutter. I think there's a world where Shohei Otani goes out and is the best pitcher in baseball next year. So certainly that guy, if you're going to save for anyone, that's him. And um, I'd be curious to see, do they find it worthy to give up significant assets for Shohei come the trade deadline, just knowing the price is going to be infinitely steep. He's going to be making about 15 million in the second half. And you'd have to give up several top-level prospects just for about two months of production. So something certainly to watch for over there. I think two notes to add on that before we wrap up. A, Stephen Gay Cohen is not going to allow that to happen on his watch. I believe the Mets are going all in on Shohei Otani again as well next offseason, including his great relationship with Billy Epler. But I think we can agree it's going to be Dodgers and Mets probably offering a contract north of $500 million in order to get Shohei Otani based on the money that's being offered out there. And to tie things full circle, when James said the Yankees' job is not finished, I don't think the Dodgers is either. Right now, they're planning on starting rookie third baseman Jacob Amaya, as well as a rookie at second base, Miguel Vargas. So it seems like, if I'm a betting man, the Los Angeles Dodgers will sign at least one big league player, whether it's a reunion with Justin Turner, whether it's a guy like Gene Segura, someone else who's been a proven major league bat that can slide into their lineup, James. Yeah, I think Dansby Swanson, is. it's inevitable that he'll end up in L.A., uh, just on honestly, that, that I guess if we'll do a bold prediction, I'd I'd put a good sum of cash um, if the NCAA would allow me to, which I would never do. You know, college athlete, um, respect the rules. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say Dansby Swanson will be a Los Angeles Dodger. All right. Well, now we season. all have to end our episode with a Dansby Swanson prediction. James is on the hook with the Dodgers. Jack, what team are you taking to land Swanson? Like the Red Sox, I think they've done so little and had such a catastrophic offseason. They're going to have to try to salvage it in one way. And I think the most Red Sox way of doing that is going to be overpaying Dan G. Swanson, adjusted for a market of Correa and Bogarts when he's a very serviceable and very good defender, um, but certainly not of that caliber. And you're going to see him be overpaid just because, one, 
they need to salvage the offseason, as I mentioned. And also Trevor Story looks like he's in no shape to be playing shortstop after a recent surgery and a lot of defensive regression this past season. I will go with yeah, the Chicago. I, oh, yeah, go for it. I, I was just going to say, I'd, I'd add, yeah, very Red Sox move to do the exact same thing that didn't work out last year with another player this year. Um, yeah, that, that'll make me laugh. I will go with the Chicago Cubs landing Dante Swanson. They have made a couple moves this offseason. They got Cody Ballinger. But I think they're missing that one piece because, as we mentioned on our last episode, the NL Central is up for grabs. And I think the Chicago Cubs see Ian Happen to walk here, belly on a one year prove a contract, a full season of Seiya Suzuki. Marcus Stroman actually pitched well at the end of last season. They re- or they signed Jamison Tyone to $68 million. I think the Cubs could see a window where you have Dansby Swanson helping the maturation of Nico Horner. It makes a lot of sense to have those two be up the middle for the next five plus years together. All righty. So that wraps up this episode. We've got the two. Dylan, um, yeah. last thing now is that according to John Heyman, Omar Novaez is close to a deal with the New York Mets catcher, formerly of the Milwaukee Brewers. So you assume, Wait. I'm guessing if that's happening, that means that, um, that can is on the way out. Maybe in a potential trade, but really interesting that they're signing a free agent catcher. Um, maybe this is something they say about Francisco Alvarez, not only his playing time, but it's also where, he, where he's going to be playing. But it seems like James McCann might be the odd man out if you're dealing for Omar Navarez, who's a very serviceable, probably better than average league catcher. So they have four catchers on their roster now. And looking at the Mets fan Twitter community is not a very happy community right now because... Not only do we love Tomas Nito as our backup catcher, but this also worries what's up with Francisco Alvarez and why can he not catch. Omar Narvaez, quickly looking at stats, he's a very solid baseball offensive catcher, not Mm -hmm. a great defensive catcher, which is a little worrisome. And it also means that we're now going to be committed to carrying three catchers on the roster for the next at least two seasons, not even including James McCann, who I don't know how you're dumping that contract. Great guy, but... Not great in New York, has not worked out. Looking at Omar Narvaez, a career OPS plus of exactly 100. So he's a league average catcher. The reported contract is two years, $15 million, roughly seven and a half per, which is pretty expensive for a backup catcher. But of course, we will definitely have more on that. We also have an interview coming up next week with a member of the BBWAA who's revealing his Hall of Fame ballot on Monday, and he's agreed to come on with us on Tuesday, so we will get his first take as to who he voted for and why. So until the next time, the side is retired.